usually flying dinosaurs aren't. Well, what you <laughs> didn't think you'd learn today on Girl yeah, in the Wow. <laughs> so anyway, Lee Strobel was an avowed atheist. So he was absolutely appalled when he found out that his wife had become a Christian, a Jesus follower. He, he couldn't believe she could be so gullible. And so he decide, decided to do her a big favor and disprove her beliefs. <laughs> And he dug into it with all the logic of a lawyer and the passion of a reporter and found that he couldn't do what he set out to do. In fact, just the opposite happened. He became a Jesus follower himself. <laughs> you ever talk yourself into something? <laughs> yes, actually, I have. But I don't think he was talking himself in. No. I think he was, he just, the evidence just said what it said. So he later wrote a book called The Case for Christ, mm -hmm. which is my primary source for this podcast. And a good read if, mm -hmm. uh, if you also are yeah. a bit of a skeptic. Yeah, really good read, because obviously I can't get into it in the depth that uh, he does in his book. So one path of his research um, took him to one of the biggest problems detractors of the resurrection have, and that's that nobody could find a body. After he was sealed up in a tomb, Jesus' dead body was never seen. And lots of people were looking, like powerful people, like the Romans and the Jews. They needed to come up with the body in order to debunk the boldness that this Jesus revolution was taking on. Mm -hmm. and, and it was growing exponentially. Which, that's also a good side point, but important side point. Jesus was not a hippie. Jesus was a revolutionary not necessarily in the traditional sense, but he really did kind of oh, upset everything some real big down. systems. Oh, yeah, for sure he did. And um, that's this whole idea that the body disappeared and nobody could nobody could produce it, even people with a lot of motive to produce it and, and the power to produce it. So that's that's a really interesting study that we just don't have time for today. Instead, I want to try and answer two other questions. First, did Jesus actually die on the cross? And second, did he later appear to people? These are important things to establish because dead people don't usually do that. Not usually. Mm -hmm. So Lee researched the idea that maybe Jesus didn't actually die. Maybe that's why nobody could find a body. Maybe that's why people saw him after the crucifixion. The fact that Jesus was crucified is historically established. Now, crucifixion was the worst form of capital punishment that the Roman Empire could think of. People didn't survive it. But critics have postulated that maybe Jesus was taken down from the cross before he died and revived after resting in a cool tomb. I mean, they stabbed him in the side to make sure that hadn't happened. We're going to go into that. Okay, great. So let's look at whether or not this theory is logical. Now, we don't have nearly enough time in this podcast to go into the level of scientific detail that Lee covers in his book. My goal here isn't to prove anything to anybody. It's just to help our listeners open their minds to the possibility that the resurrection happened. And then it's up to the individual to either, I don't know, you can order Lee Strobel's book online or you can uh, use other resources to either convince or unconvince yourself of the reliability of the resurrection of Jesus. And so to come to a conclusion on whether or not Jesus died on the cross, Lee and his research got on a plane to interview a physician and former research scientist who is the author of five scientific books and many articles in scientific periodicals. Dr. Metherell walked Lee through the abuse Jesus received before the actual crucifixion. 
It included, but wasn't limited to, a flogging with a whip that had metal balls and pieces of sharp bone woven into the leather braids. I know. I don't want to go into the grisly details of what this tool did to the victim. Suffice it to say that so much blood was lost, many people died from this kind of a beating before they could even be crucified. Mm -hmm. Historians are unanimous that Jesus did receive this kind of beating before he went on to the cross. And then came the crucifixion. The, um, the science behind that is, is really interesting. Uh, the pain of the cross was so brutal. A new word was actually invented to, to describe it, the word excruciating, mm-hmm. which literally means out of the cross. The cause of death during crucifixion is heart failure. It's because the position of a body on a cross and the way the body was pinned made breathing very difficult and terribly painful. So eventually, once the person was too exhausted to push up against their legs to get a lung full of air, carbon dioxide and blood, uh, uh, sorry, carbon dioxide would uh, build up in the blood. Mm -hmm. Combining that with blood loss would eventually lead to cardiac arrest. Yeah. Uh, The other um, thing is... Sometimes they got too tired to push up. Sometimes they didn't. They weren't dying fast enough, so the Romans would break their legs. Right. So they couldn't push up. And that's what happened in this particular case, not to Jesus, not to but Jesus. To, to the two men who were crucified with him. Mm-hmm. So because the soldiers on, on duty on the crucifixion day wanted to speed things up, as you just mentioned, because it was the sunset of a Sabbath, they broke the legs of the two men crucified with Jesus so that they couldn't, as you said, push up. To breathe anymore, but when they came to Jesus, they didn't bother. Now, these guys were experienced executioners. They knew he was already dead. So instead of breaking his legs, a soldier did something that gave us excellent evidence that Jesus was dead. He speared Jesus through the chest. Clear fluid followed by blood came out of the wound, according to a witness named John. Clear fluid. Now, John would have had no idea what he was seeing medically. He just recorded it. Yeah. And yet his description is exactly what modern medicine would expect when the lung and then the heart are punctured immediately after death. Oof. Interesting, because I've always heard it and seen it depicted as the side. So I was kind of picturing, like, bottom of the rib cage. But I guess it would have been an upward... Okay, yeah, I'm figuring it out as I go. Because he would have been up. Yeah. So, so they did been, stab him in the side, but it wasn't yeah, just so like a little poke. It would have gone through the it lung a, and then the heart. It was yeah. a big, it was, that traveled. Yes. Goodness me. Spears are long. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Fair so, enough. So, after all that, it's pretty hard to argue that Jesus didn't die on the cross. But did he actually appear to people alive after he was dead? The earliest documentation we have that he did was written by the Apostle Paul in a creed he recited uh, in his letter to the Jesus followers in Corinth, in Greece. Now, a creed was a way of accurately passing along information orally. It was basically considered eyewitness testimony. It was likely initially written um, by the Apostle Peter and James, the brother of Jesus, And just by the way, James was not a follower of Jesus until he saw Jesus alive after he saw him dead. That'd do it. I would think that would do it. That'd do it. So, Kev, would you... um, Oh, never mind. I was going to get you to do some reading, but I think it might be smoother if I just keep going. Okay. All right. And so, 
he said this, the Apostle Paul said this, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. So that sort of identifies that as a creed. Then he recites the creed. Jesus died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. He was seen by Peter and then by the 12, meaning the 12 disciples. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time. At one time. Most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. So it's really important that the creed was written so soon after Jesus' death, that there were many eyewitnesses still alive. It's pretty hard to revise history when there are living witnesses who can attest to the truth, right? In addition to this creed, we also have personal eyewitness accounts written by the gospel writers, who were Jesus' biographers, and by the physician named Luke in a book called The Acts of the Apostles. These sources recount names of specific people and groups of people who saw Jesus alive after he was dead. Not only saw him, but walked with him, touched him, ate with him. Some of these sightings were indoors, some outdoors, and they happened over many weeks. In Acts, so that's the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 2, Verse 32, Peter, the disciple who denied even knowing Jesus the night he died and then hid until he saw Jesus alive, boldly preached to the the crowds in Jerusalem. God raised Jesus from the dead and we are all witnesses of this. And then in Acts 3.15, Peter calls out to the people in the temple, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead and we are witnesses of this fact. The man many people know now as St. Peter had a pretty significant transformation as a result of the resurrection of Jesus. He went from being a coward to telling anyone who'd listen that Jesus was alive. Mm -hmm. And he knew it because he'd seen it. And not just from a distance. I mean, Jesus cooked breakfast for him (laughs) and in a really tender conversation forgave him for his cowardice. Yeah. Peter and all other, all the other 11 disciples spent the rest of their lives. Actually, <clears throat> yeah, so there was a disciple who was appointed in the place of Judas who had committed suicide, right? Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. I didn't know yeah. that. So, um, yeah, so Peter and the other 11 spent the rest of their lives telling people that Jesus was alive. They traveled all over the known world. They abandoned their livelihoods. They endured terrible treatment. And ultimately, all but possibly one were martyred for their beliefs. And the one who may not have been martyred was, um, oh, what do you call that when you send somebody away? Um, Exiled? Yes, that's it, on the Isle of Patmos in Greece. So there's like really good documentation for this stuff. Now, I realize that just being martyred for your beliefs doesn't make what you believe true, True, right? A lot of people are willing to die for what they believe, but would they die for something they know is a lie? Yeah, would they die for a a purposeful deceit? A cover-up, yeah. Yeah. Why would they do that? What a conspiracy. And they died horrible deaths. Oh, yeah. Peter was crucified upside down. Which is even worse. One of the disciples was boiled in oil. Some horrible, horrible deaths. Oh, how awful. So would they go through that for something they knew was a lie? What would they have to gain, Mm -hmm. right? 
Well, and it's not like doing what they were doing. They were getting, like, fame and fortune. They were getting infamy and poverty, which is kind of what Jesus preached. Yeah. Yeah. So if Jesus didn't die, if he was somehow rescued from the cross, the disciples were the only ones with the motive to do it. Right? I mean, who else would have had a motive to keep the movement going? No one really profits or benefits. No, no. If he died on the cross and didn't rise from the dead... His movement would have died with him. Remember, Jesus' disciples were devastated, not only that Jesus died, but that all that they'd given up over the past three years because they believed Jesus was who he said he was, was a lie. They thought it was over, and they were terrified their own lives were in danger, too. They were in hiding. What could have changed them from the terrified, disillusioned guys they were to men who boldly preached endured abuse and imprisonment, traveled far from home, and told anyone who would listen that Jesus was alive, that he was God's son, that his death and resurrection was all part of a magnificent plan to restore humanity to a relationship with its creator. The lives of the disciples were divided into pre- and post-resurrection. I can't think of anything less powerful that could have brought such a change in them. Because of the boldness, their boldness, the Christian church was born. It's made such an impact that long after the Jewish temple was destroyed and the Roman Empire was no longer a thing, the impact of the Jesus movement remains. Today we name our children Peter and Paul and our dogs Nero and Brutus. (laughs) So I want to leave you with a question. If the resurrection is true, what does it mean for you? Mm -hmm. Talk to somebody you trust about it. And I think a lot of people struggle to even consider reconciling something that seems so outlandish, which, like, admittedly, yeah, it kind of does. Supernatural, for sure. Yeah, like, I remember... um, And not to turn this into a conspiracy podcast, but I remember um, in the summer of 2020, I read something that NASA had put out that was like, yeah, we found something that confirms or like that suggests certainly that there is some kind of life form that is um, conducting interstellar, interstellar travel. And I was like, wow. I am not prepared to process that today. And it made me really anxious. And I was like, okay, so how does this challenge my worldview? And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to worry about it. And so I just didn't. And I still don't. And I think that's a similar um, reaction to that a lot of people have to the prospect that, okay, if Jesus is real, was real, well, we know he's real. Yeah, we know he was a person. If he was who he said he was, mm-hmm. and who history has interpreted him, interpreted him to be, what does that mean? Right. And I would encourage you to have that courage. <laughs> encourage you to have that courage. Because, um, I mean, wouldn't you rather know mm-hmm. than not know? And, like... And, and what does that mean for how I choose to live my life, mm-hmm. right? I mean, mm-hmm. if God with skin on actually came to the earth and was willing to die 
a horrible death in order to make it possible for me to have a relationship with God mm-hmm. here and now, but also to live eternally yeah. in the most amazing, more amazing circumstances than we could ever imagine. Oh, yeah. Would I not want to investigate that? Mm-hmm. And I think, like, we don't necessarily have time to get into all the implications, but I think... It would be very overwhelming. It would be very overwhelming for me to find out I had this relative who, like, at some point sacrificed themselves so that I could live uh, and live well. That would be very overwhelming to me. That's okay. Take some time with it. Think about it. Mm -hmm. Pray about it. And by the way, prayer doesn't have to be, like, this big thing. You do not have to kneel. You don't even have to close your eyes if you don't want to. Jesus didn't. Um, yeah, it's just talking. It's just, it's just talking. A conversation between two people who love each other. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to talk out loud either, although you can. You might find it easier. Mm-hmm. Um, and just think, reflect on it, and, you know, do your research. And I can say do your research with all the confidence in the world that, like, whatever you find is going to support the existence of Jesus. Well, one of the real things I really appreciate about Lee Strobel's book is that he antis- like he went to the atheists and mm-hmm. read what the atheists had to say, mm-hmm. who discounted the resurrection, and those are the points he researched. Mm-hmm. Right? So um, it's very helpful to see like that he, he was looking at both sides and remember that he started out trying to As prove this didn't happen. Yeah, yeah. Which, like, that's an undertaking. And actually, it's funny because, you know, you can't prove a negative. That's the thing. Right. Um, and a lawyer would know that. Um, but I, I, I'm interested to know and, and acknowledging that both mom and I... Sorry, I keep kicking the table that has the mic on it. So ignore those bumping stop sounds. doing that. I'm uncomfortable. I'm shifting in my seat. Um Acknowledging that mom and I grew up in the church, we grew up believing in God, and I know a lot of people believe you'd have to be indoctrinated and brainwashed to believe it. I get it. That's mm-hmm. fair. Yeah. Um, but what do you think is the most compelling evidence that we have? And there's lots. Well, I think the fact that over 500 people saw him alive mm-hmm. and that that was written down while they were still alive. Mm-hmm. So you can't start a myth uh, like there are there are formulas for how many years it takes for a myth to start evolving and mm-hmm. it requires that all the eyewitnesses are dead yeah so um i think that's very compelling and i mean there's there's ideas about you know there's there's mass hysteria and so on and so forth but 500 people don't imagine the same thing especially in different like, it didn't happen all at the same time. Well, the 500, he did appear to the 500 okay, at one at time, the same time, but he also walked uh, many miles with two guys. Cleopas he, and someone else. Yeah. And he, I don't think the other, I don't think the other person is named. Oh. Um, he, you know, he showed up a bunch of other times. Mm-hmm. And Thomas, who was one of his disciples. Yeah. 
really doubted it because oh, the yeah. first time Jesus appeared to the disciples, he wasn't there. Yeah. Right. And so he said, I'm not going to believe it until I can put my hands in the or my fingers in the wounds on his hands and my hand in the wound on his his side. Yeah. His his chest, which he did, which he did, which paints a bit of an unsettling picture. Did he come back with raw wounds? Did he come back with scars? We don't know. We um, don't know. It, it might have been. Um, but frightening. But there, there were wounds. There were wounds. That. And yeah. he was, that's the other thing. He was buried. There's record of him being buried. And the Roman soldiers were very concerned about someone stealing the body. And so, um, and, and if you've heard about the resurrection, you may have heard about this. Um, they rolled a stone in front of the opening of the grave, which is not standard practice. No, that was standard practice. Was it? The stone was, for sure. But then it was also sealed. Um, I believe by the Romans, mm-hmm. and then we don't know what the, whether the guard posted was the temple guard, so right. the, the Jewish temple guard, or whether it was a Roman guard. But yeah. Either way, they had a lot of um, they had a lot riding on the body, not oh, going yeah. missing. Yeah, like the the owner, the undertaker himself. I don't know if he would have been an undertaker, but the guy responsible, Joseph of Arimathea, he owned the tomb. Yeah, he owned the tomb. The yeah. guy who owned the tomb. He would have been in big trouble with the Romans if Jesus went missing. So he wouldn't have helped him out. The person guarding the tomb wouldn't have helped him out. Um, uh, How do you roll a boulder away from the opening of a cave when you are in the cave and the boulder is outside the cave? Yeah, and and the boulder would come down at an incline toward the mouth of the cave. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's no way a wounded guy, like somebody who'd gone through what Jesus went through, yeah. could have dislodged that boulder no, himself. No, no, he would have suffocated. Skulked away into the yeah. the sunset. Yeah, he would have suffocated. Um I don't know if he would have suffocated because he would have, or starved. Well, yeah. I mean blood loss would if he if he, he would have died there were several ways for, that yeah, he would have died exactly. he would have died like six times exactly yeah um i think another relevant point is the first people he showed up to were women um if it were me at the time because women were not a reputable source at the time if it were me and i was constructing a myth i would find the most trustworthy people to appear to first and not the women aren't trustworthy but they were not considered um reliable witnesses no they no couldn't, they couldn't give witness and uh, like testimony in no. court or anything like that no and mm-hmm. and so like if i was writing a myth or folklore i I would be aware of those sort of things, and I would be purposefully sort of building that out. Yeah, to make it appear like a rock-solid case. Yeah. The other thing is that the the four different biographies of Jesus, mm-hmm. there are some very, very minor discrepancies, mm-hmm. like about who showed up where first and things like that. Yeah. Nothing that really changes the 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 evidence the but I was just reading a memoir today and um, I noticed several times she had a footnote at the bottom of a page saying this person does not remember this the way I do but this is how it was in my memory mm-hmm. so it doesn't mean you throw out the memoir and you say well that's not true yeah because people remember different remember details differently yeah yeah absolutely um, and I, I would think if somebody was trying to make the story airtight, they would, would have exactly eliminated the all of those things. Yeah, exactly. So that's, I think the the quote unquote flaws are part of what make it so believable because there's there's a history that rings true. It's also one of the few. If let's pretend it's a myth, it's one of the only myths that doesn't have different iterations. 
Um, there, if you spend any time looking into mythology, there are at least like three different versions of any given myth, mm-hmm. and like sometimes it's a golden fleece, and sometimes it's or like Cinderella is a good example. Um, sometimes the slipper is made of glass. Sometimes the slipper is made of fur. Um, huh. It depends on the translation. I only know the Disney truth. Yes, <laughs> the Disney truth. <laughs> anyway, there's a lot to talk about. We could go on for hours, but um, what I'd really encourage people to do, if we've piqued your interest at all, mm-hmm. is get a hold of Lee Strobel's book. Yeah, Case for Christ. The Case for Christ, and um, and. And just be honest as you yeah. go through it and, yeah. and evaluate the logic and the evidence and, and go from there. And go from there. Yeah. And that's it for us today on Grow on the Go. I'm Kevin Pankhurst. And I'm Donna Carter, inviting you to grow on the go. Thanks for listening to Grow on the Go. Share this episode on social media and find more great programs at faithstrongtoday.com.